Well, the scripture that Michael and Stephanie read is a good introduction to the sermon that we're entering into now. Cornerstone Church, we are starting today a series in the book of Deuteronomy. So there, it's happening. But here's what happened. So last Monday morning, as I'm wont to do, uh, Monday is mainly sermon prep day. I usually have one meeting, a standing meeting on Mondays. Other than that, it's sermon prep. And try to get that sermon to like 85% by the end of my day on Monday. So I did. And uh, then at the end of the day, I realized, wait a minute, I just prepared the wrong sermon. I forgot we have an infant dedication. So I thought, what am I going to do here? I'll stay in the book of Deuteronomy. I'll save what I worked on so far for next Sunday, Lord willing, but I'll stay in Deuteronomy. We'll just, we'll start the series because it's Mother's Day and Infant Dedication Day. We'll start the series in chapter six, where God speaks to parents about their children. Really fits. So we're in Deuteronomy, starting Deuteronomy series, but we're going to be over in chapter six. Please give heed as the word of God is read before you. May your heart be like good soil to receive it. Deuteronomy 6, 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Verse 24, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. There's a title slide. Can we see that, please? The title of this sermon is Loving God and Raising Kids, or a subtitle, which isn't on the slide, Prerequisites for God-Honoring Parenting. That's where we are in Deuteronomy 6, prerequisites, and then some how to do the parroting. So we're really headed for verse 7, which says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them and so on. But we're going to start off in verse 4. Let's pray. Father, we open our hearts to you as we come to your word. And we pray that we may rise up from hearing it to be doers and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. We pray that it may be a word of grace and redemption and salvation to those who are far from you. And to those who are near, may it be a word of grace and encouragement through the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So again, we're headed for verse 7, which says, You shall teach them diligently and talk of them 
when you go here and go there and do the other. We're headed for biblical parenting. But first, there are some prerequisites. God doesn't start off and say, now you parents, here's what I want you to do with your children. No, he starts off and says, now your parents, here's what you'll need in you. Here's what has to be in your soul. Here's what needs to be in your relationship to me, the living God. He starts off with the parents and later gets to the kids. Who you are is more important than what you'll do. And what you'll do needs to flow out of who you are, your heart, before you and the true and living God. So next slide, please. It's going to be Parenting 101. Let's start here. Parenting 101. Then we're going to have a 201 and a 301 and a 401. You all be ready for graduation at the end of the sermon, all right? Parenting 101, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, you might know this or you might not know this, but this is an absolutely, maybe uniquely, stunningly um, important and well-known verse in the Old Testament. So far as I know, this is the only verse in the entire Bible that actually has a name. Like, you name that verse, this thing. And Israel named this verse this thing long ago. It's actually the first word in the verse in the Hebrew, and it's the Hebrew word Shema, which means hear. And they call this verse the Great Shema. There are lots of other Shemas in the Old Testament. Lots of other times when God says to his people, hear, listen, pay attention, listen up. But this one is the great one, and with good reason. So we are looking at one of the most important Old Testament verses ever, and it was penned about, what was it, uh, 14, 1440s, 1440s BC, close enough. All right, hear, O Israel. The first thing God wants to do with a parent is get you listening to him. You need to hear God. You need to have a heart in you that wants to hear God's word. You need to be like, I believe it was Mary who said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. God wants to teach us to hear. The, the, the Proverbs often say things like, incline your heart to hear him. That's what he's after right here. If you want to be a biblical parent, if you want to do your son or your daughter, the absolute very best, the most good you could do for them, it's got to start with you hearing God. Hear, O Israel. And what's the first thing he wants you to hear about God? Well, it reads, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But in the original, there's, there's no verb. There's no is in that part. It's just this. Yahweh, our God, Yahweh, one. So he's really emphasizing to us there is one God over all the heavens and the earth. There are not two or three or five or 25 gods. There's one God. He is the God of Israel. He's the God of the Bible. He's Yahweh. He's Jehovah. He's the Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Trinitarian God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's one God. So this is where you must start with parenting. You must be a person who hears and receives into your soul there is one God, and I'm just going to add to it because it really comes in the next point, but we're going to start adding it now. And you want him, you have him to be your God. In other words, back to the Lord is one, one God. 
There is one God in the universe, and he's not you. Because you're going to have to bottle that for your son and daughter. You're going to have to teach that to your children, because they just about really do believe when they're very little, I'm God. Like the whole thing swirls around me and my parents are there for me and the milk is there for me and the diapers are there for me and when I don't get what I want when I want it, man, it would be murder if I was bigger. Good thing they're harmless. So you're going to have to model and teach that guess what, son? Uh, You're not the center of the universe. All things don't revolve around you There's a God, a great God. He made the heavens and the earth. He sits on the throne. Jesus Christ, his blood-shedding son, is at his right hand. And he's God. So this is biblical parenting 101. God is God. God will be God to me by the grace of God. God will be God to my son. God will be God to my daughter. God will be God in our house. In other words... Nothing else will be God. So you married your wife and you love her, huh? You better. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself for you. you love, do you love your wife? Yes, I love my wife. How much more do you love God? Infinitely. Sorry, babe. You're not God. So your wife is wonderful and you love her, but she's not God. And your baby isn't God, and nobody else is God, and this is going to come as a shock to some of you guys, but your Ford truck isn't God. (laughs) Baltimore Ravens aren't God. Playing golf isn't God. I'm picking on the men. It's Mother's Day. I can't pick on the women. (laughs) Nothing. Here's what this verse 4 is about. There's one God. He's not you, and he's nothing else. Nothing else takes his place in your soul. He alone fills that God-shaped hole, that famous God-shaped hole. He alone fills that hole. And and he alone sits on the throne of your life. And he alone is at the center of everything in your life. Like without him, you'd you'd be gone, literally. And you'd be lost. So this is Parenting 101. Hear, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Many, 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 many other scriptures chime in and say similar things. Here's just two. Isaiah 45, 1. I am God, he says, and there is no other. Or Exodus 34, 14. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Now, when humans are jealous, that's often a bad thing, but not always. You ought to be jealous over your wife and some other man, right? But when God is jealous, it's wholly just, and it's the most righteous jealousy in the universe because we owe him our absolute allegiance. He should be God to you, the center of your life, the supreme object of your affections and allegiance. And when that's lacking, he's jealous with a righteous jealousy. Something else is your God. So this is where parenting starts, Parenting 101. This is how to best bless your children. This is what they most need. Lots of other things they need. Yeah, they need the bottle. Yeah, they need to be burped. Yeah, they need new Nikes about every other week because they grow out of them. Yes, they need new blue jeans. Yes, they need food. Hats off to you, families with teenagers. There were years where the food bill was higher than the monthly mortgage. 
It was. It was years. We had a nine-passenger Oldsmobile custom custom cruiser station wagon. This is in the days before minivans. There were, what, there weren't minivans? No, we had a big station wagon. You put the rear seats down. They faced backwards, by the way, and they had no seat belts. That's how long. There were dinosaurs roaming the land. And my dear wife would go to the, we were in Riverside, California, and she would go to the Alpha Beta grocery store down the street and fill, fill the entire back end of that nine-passenger custom cruiser station wagon. We'd come home and we'd have the whole family a conveyor belt bringing groceries in. That took about two hours to bring all, slight exaggeration. I don't even know how I get into that. This is Parenting 101. This is how to, oh, how to best bless you. It's important that you give them food and new tennis shoes, but that there's something they need way above that, and that is they need you to help them come to a place in life where they have a heart for God, where they seek the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. They need a mom and a dad who models that and talks about that. Son, there's no other God. There's one God. I want you to know him. I know him. And if, by the way, you're realizing right now, well, that's not me. I don't even have God as my God, and I have a son and daughter, and I'm not giving that to them. Well, here's the good news. This is the day of grace. And if you turn to him and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, God will be gracious to you and forgive you your failures and your trespasses and your ignoring him and not having him God all this time, and he will become your God, and you'll be his blood-bought, beloved child in Christ. It's the day of grace. So that's parenting one-on-one, 101. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. We're ready for parenting 201. A whole year just went by. Now you're in your second year. You're a junior, a sophomore, pardon me. Parenting 201. So he's God. Nothing else is God. He alone is God. Then what do I owe him? Like, What are my most important duties that I must do for him? What do I owe him? I love what it is that you owe him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That is Parenting 201. That's what your kids need in you. That's a prerequisite to being a God-honoring biblical parent who can hopefully lead them to saving faith in Jesus Christ. You need to be a blood-bought child of the living God, and you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and all your might. You love God. Interestingly, this is the first time we run into that in the Bible, that you need to love God. Genesis never says that. Exodus never says that. Leviticus never says that. Numbers never says that. Deuteronomy doesn't say it till chapter 6 and verse 5. But in the book of Deuteronomy, those of us who are part of Cornerstone Church will see in days to come, it comes up again and again and again and again. That's why we're calling the whole series of we're doing in the book of Deuteronomy, loving God with all your heart. The whole book is about that. So we're going to hear a lot of that, and it starts right here in chapter 6. Love God. So to 
to give your son and daughter the best you could possibly give them on this planet. They need you to be something. They need you to be a father or mother who knows there's one God and you know that one God and you render him absolute allegiance. He has all of your loves and affections. He's first in your life. That is such a gift to give to a son, such a gift to give to a daughter with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, the intensity, the power, the strength of all that, with all, all, all. That's Parenting 201. So your wife's nice and you love her. And again, you should. You should love her as Christ loved the church. That's pretty strong stuff. But it doesn't even compare to how you love the Lord your God. Pray that it may never come to this, but if it had to, your love for Christ could end up separating you from your wife or your husband. And you would choose Christ first. May it never be. But you would choose Christ. Even at the, at the cost of losing the human being you most love. You love God with all your heart. No one else gets that. Nothing else gets that, or it would be an idol. This is so important that there was a time in the life of Jesus during his earthly ministry days when a, a student in the law, a teacher of the law, asked him, good teacher, tell me, what is, what is the most important commandment in the whole Bible? He only had the Old Testament. And Jesus didn't bat an eye. He knew exactly what it was. It was this. I love that the most important commandment in the Bible was not stop something. I love that it's love him. Most important commandment in the Bible. Jesus says, oh, that's easy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second most important is like it. It's also about love. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we're, we're not off in some little Bible trivia here. We're not out on a thin branch somewhere. This is as central as it could be. This is your heart and your love for the true and the living God. And the worst thing you could do with your life is ignore him and love your children and love your wife and love your house and love your career and love your truck and love the ravens but not love God. 1st 17 years of my life, I never loved him once. Every second of my life for 17 years was living in utter rebellion by ignoring the true and living God, who should have been my God, I never loved him once. That was guilt, 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 guilt. 17 years every second. Then by his grace and mercy, he came in power, and he saved my sorry soul. And I've never stopped loving him, loving him, loving him first since. By the grace of God, I never shall. Amen? Yeah. Want to be found in Christ at the last day. So there it is, Parenting 101, He's God, I have no other. Parenting 201, I love him with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and all my strength. And again, this is a day of grace. And if you're realizing, well, I haven't been doing that, well, there's a fountain that is open for sin and uncleanness. Take your foul soul and fly there and get washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Parenting 301, and these words that I command you today 
shall be on your heart. These words. That, my friends, is a recurring theme in the book of Deuteronomy, a recurring phrase in the book of Deuteronomy. Guess what? The whole book starts with, these are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan. The whole book, and he says it again and again in the book, these are the words, these are the words. One thing Deuteronomy is about is the words. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to be about some words. Because God has spoken. He is there. This is the name of a book by Francis Schaeffer. He is there, and he is not silent. He's there. He made the heavens and the earth and all. He sustains them by the word of his power. And he's not a deadbeat dad who never communicates anything to his children. No, he's the God of words. And he speaks to us in words, originally in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, and now faithfully translated into English, and you have it in your hands. He's the God of words, and we need to be the people of words, his words. Why do you want your children to learn words? So they can go to school. Why do you want them to go to school? So they can get a good job. Why do you want them to get a good job? So they can make money. All fine. All fine. There's a much higher reason why you want them to learn words and to think logically and rationally with those words. It's because you want them to receive, to be able to receive and understand the words that God speaks. You want them to be able to come into the assembly every week for the rest of their little lives and sustain and and profit from somewhat lengthy adult discourse. You want them to know words. Bless God for the English and grammar teachers that we've had who taught us words. Diagramming sentences. Look at one of our pastors. Can you diagram sentences? You're you're math and science guy, aren't you? Ah, I got the wrong thing. (laughs) This is Parenting 301. It's about these words. So if you want to give your children the very best they could possibly be given on the planet, you need to be a dad, you need to be a mom who engages your child's understanding and heart with the words that are in this book. But first, they need to be on your heart. Not just in some big Bible you bought. <laughs> By the way, I just bought a big Bible. Not, not this one. This is the one I actually read from every day. But I just bought. I'll probably n- hardly ever use it. I just wanted it. It's a great, big, original 1611 King James Version, beautifully bound and in a little box that holds it. And I have it sitting right over there on that shelf when I'm sitting at my desk. It's right there. And every now and then I've been just getting it out and looking a little bit reading a little, putting it back, just because I so respect. I'm not a King James only guy. This is the ESV. But I just so respect that moment in church history and in the history of the Word of God that I wanted one of those. It has God's words in it. And parenting is about passing on those words. Isn't it interesting the the extent to which God made children? Like, they're hardwired to be able to acquire language skills rapidly. Once they start. (laughs) I worked real hard to get each of our sons to say dada first. (laughs) And they did. I've read since then that actually it's an easier word to say so it's not fair. Easier to say dada than mama. 
But I enjoy going around to the babies of the church. I did it to one already this morning. They were back in the corner. And I, I've done this with her before, too. I, I come up to her. This is a confusing moment. It, like, mixes categories. I come up to her and say, dad, 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 dad. <laughs> and she looks like, you're, you're not supposed to be the one saying that. <laughs> but it's fun. They get words. And God has deposited his words in a book and you have that book, and you're to be into those words. They shall be on your heart. That doesn't mean you have to be a scholarly type person. Some of you naturally are, and some of you aren't, and the ones who aren't just aren't. You're not gonna be. You're doers. Bless you, we need doers. Some of you are consummate doers. Come to my house tomorrow. <laughs> I'll give you a list. We need doers. So we have doers and we have thinkers. This doesn't mean everybody's going to be a thinker, but this means the most consummate doer, when he hears God's word, is going to go, yes! Oh, Lord, I want this. I love it. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Jesus said as much. Man shall not live by bread alone. What are you going to provide for your kid? Well, food. Good, you ought to. You ought to love, protect, and provide. You better. It's your job. Especially dad. If any man won't provide for his own, he's worse than an unbeliever. Because they all do. They provide for their own. But Jesus said, yet there's a higher provision you need to give them. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And the psalmist had this heart in him. The words of God are on his heart. He said, oh, how I love your law. And Paul says to the Thessalonians about the people who rejected Christ in their town, they did not receive a love of the truth. There's a love of the truth that you receive when you receive Christ as your Savior and your God. When he gives you a new heart, you love him. You love his kingdom. And now you love his truth. Again, you might not be an egg-headed, pencil-neck, thick-glasses, scholarly type. I wasn't looking at you, sir, because I thought you are one of those though you do wear glasses, <laughs> so do I. Doesn't mean that, but again, you're a doer, but you love going to church and hearing the word. You love driving your car and hearing the word. You love having some time in your own Bible and receiving the word. You love all things word. And you give that to your children. You're like Jesus' disciples. Their heart burned within them when they heard Jesus' words. People were turning away from Jesus. Remember in John chapter 6, and Jesus says to his disciples, you guys want to leave me too? You're going to go away? And they say, Lord, where else would we go? You have the words of life. Yeah, these become the words of life, for you, and there's nowhere else you'd want to go. Nowhere that doesn't have these words. So there's parenting 101, God is good. 201, you love God. 301, you love his words. Now we're ready for actual parenting. You're a senior. It's 401. Here's what you actually do. Out of all the things God could have said, all right, parents, here's what you need to be thinking about. This is what he chose. You shall teach them the words diligently to your children. Boom. Now you're parenting. Well, of course. What could be more important 
than you angling for their soul with the words of God. What would you put ahead of that? Other things might get more time. Frankly, you probably spend more time changing diapers than you will in those days giving words. But what could be more important? You want to teach them diligently to your children. Your greatest desire for your child is that they would open their soul to God that he may be their God and to Jesus Christ that he may redeem them and wash them in his blood and that they may start to be people of the book, the words. Young men and young women of the words. We have some of those in this church. Bless you. It's going to come up again and again and again and again and again in Deuteronomy, by the way. It's another recurring theme. It started back in chapter 4 and verse 9. Make them known, the words, make them known to your children and to your children's children. Make known the words. You even want your grandchildren to hear it from you because you're backing up what your kids are giving your grandchildren. And who's he talking to when he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children? Well, he's talking to Israel, so it's fathers and mothers, but I want to point out it's fathers. It includes fathers. It's not that that's woman's work. I don't do woman's work. No, this is also man's work. This is very much man's work. And fathers, your sons and daughters will profit greatly by hearing you teach them God's words. Now, there might be other places where they're taught God's words. Good. They're maybe, maybe they're downstairs right now. Some of your kids are, and they're being taught God's word. That's a wonderful help to parents in your job. Maybe some will be in youth group in the evening. Wonderful help. I don't think it meets tonight, does it? Wonderful help to uh, when it does meet. Wonderful help to, to parents. And uh, maybe the school you go to, maybe it's not this, but maybe the, you're sending them to a classical Christian school, and they're teaching them the word over there as well, and that's a wonderful thing. But parents are held responsible by God to see to it that by whatever means, including you, your children are sensing, they're feeling the heat coming out of your soul. Wow, my dad really loves the words. My dad really wants me to love the words and to receive them and let them take me up to God. There's something very special about a child learning about God and the will of God and the things of God from mom and dad. Teach them words. And then what else? We're still at the 400 level. Uh, Deuteronomy 7b and following. And, so that was formal, teach them the word, the words. And, let's stay there a minute. So when are you going to teach them from the words? Uh, everybody recommends that you have a stated time. You attach it to something that happens every day in life. Like dinner is a pretty good pick. Like after dinner, everybody's happy. They're all feeling good. Now we're going to read from, we're in Proverbs chapter 3 today. So dad's going to read. We're all going to talk about it. Somehow, somewhere in the family life, you've got... A stated time. That's what that was. Now we're leaving that, and now we're going into way of life Bible college, parents and children. Deuteronomy 7. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. What are you doing? We're just sitting in the house. 
And guess what? We end up having a conversation about the things of the Lord. Now, by the way, you don't want to be that obnoxious parent that only ever talks about the things of the Lord is only ever quoting scripture verses. So your child says, mom, can, can I have a sandwich? You say, man, shall not live by bread alone. <laughs> Just taking every opportunity to stick a verse in there. You're going to drive them nuts. So we're, we're not talking about that. But there are times when, among the other things you talk about, you show that it really is in your heart by when it's just a leisure time. We wind up talking about something spiritual. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and you're snuggling up with your, your five-year-old, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What is this? Your visual reminders. You want assistance by visual reminders. So for years, Debbie had a little sign over the door where we go out into our laundry room and out into the garage and leave the house. And the little sign up over the door that said, as for me and my house, I was, we will serve the Lord. And it just occurred to me while preaching in the first service, I don't think that sign's even there anymore. Should I be worried about my wife? <laughs> what does this indicate? I don't know what it means. I'll have to ask. But you want some visual reminders around too. So they see, ooh, mom even likes this stuff on the walls. Dad even wants this stuff on the doors. So we're reminded of Christ as we come in and we're reminded of the kingdom as we go out. Visual reminders, surround them with these things. God's words are to permeate every sphere of your child's understanding, their whole worldview shaped and formed by these words, their whole life directed by these words to understand God's words and to respond to them is the highest use on the planet of their brains, their language skills, and their reasoning capacities. That's where you want them. There's more, more 400 level. Verse 20. Now your child probably, he's probably hit puberty now and he's starting to think better. <laughs> there must be a story behind that laugh. Because here's what he does. He's starting to think. He's starting to ask questions. He's starting to reason. And verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come. See, he's not doing this when he's two, Right? But when he asks you in time to come, so maybe he's 12. Hey, Dad, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Hey, Dad, what's this all really mean? The cross, the blood of Christ, salvation, heaven, hell. What's it all really mean, Dad? Then you shall say to your son, son, go ask your mother. That's not what's in the text, brothers. <laughs> then you shall say to your son, and then you share your salvation story, your testimony. Son, we, we, man, let me tell you. Let me tell you what all this means. We were slaves. I was lost. We were slaves to sin in Pharaoh's Egypt, in their case. And the Lord brought us out of that slavery, brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Son, these words are word of life to me because I've been saved by grace through faith in Christ because of these words. God had mercy on me and delivered me. Here's what your father used to be like. You never knew me then. I hadn't even met your mother yet. But here's what it used to be like. And then I came to know Christ and I heard the gospel and everything changed. And you're telling them 
from your own life what the Lord means to you. And then you go, verse 24, and the Lord, you're still talking to your son and your daughter, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes. So now we're coming to the actual commands of the Bible. Why? To fear the Lord our God. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You're just starting to get wise when you start to fear the Lord. What's the fear of the Lord? It's taking God seriously. So all of a sudden, you're not ignoring him anymore. You're not mocking him anymore. You're not avoiding him anymore. But, oh, he showed up on your radar. There's a God. I need to take him seriously. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God is love. God is a consuming fire. Oh, I need to know more about God. He's the God and Father of the Lord Jesus. What's that? To fear the Lord our God, and you want your son and daughter to take God seriously. Son, we fear God. And why, Dad? Why all these commandments? Why all this fearing God? For our good always, that he might preserve us alive. Son, I want you to understand, there's a lot of commandments in the Bible they're all for your good. God's not a great big cosmic killjoy. He's not sitting up there in heaven looking for any humans who are having fun. Stop it. No, the commandments are for your good. When our first two sons were our only sons and they were little, we lived in a rental home and it had a front yard. There was a busy road out there. There was a school over there. So there's buses and cars all the time. But we wanted them to be able to play in the yard. So we put up a fence in the yard with permission. But we did. We put up a fence in the yard. And what would they do? They'd go out to the edge of the fence as close to the road as they could get. And they'd push on the fence and want to get through. They were probably like, our rotten parents, they hate us. They're trying to kill us. They won't let us have any fun. They built this fence, and we can't even go out in the road. No, you don't understand. It's for your good. And all of God's commandments, son, are for your good. Everything you find in the Bible is for your good, that he might preserve you alive as we are this day. And let me add more to it. Here's another layer. And it will be righteousness for us. And now we can say with New Testament eyes, if we allow the law to show us our sin and our depravity and our need for Christ, and if we flee to him and call upon him and find his grace and his mercy, it will be righteousness for us if we are then evangelically moved to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. For our good, son, that he may preserve us alive, son. It will be righteousness for us, son. So, we've seen parenting 101, he's God. 201, we're to love him. 301, his words are to be on our heart. 401, we're to teach them diligently. All right, close your notes. Here's the quiz. You ready for the quiz? All right, it's a day of grace, no quiz. But concluding observations, one. So obviously, Christians need, want to, put out whatever verbs you want in there, to take their parenting cues from the word of God. It's God who made us. It's God who best tells It's God who tells us how to do parenting. So I was not raised in a Christian home. We didn't have a Bible. We didn't know anything about the word. You want to know what parenting method was used on me? 
I was born in 54 and the book, the popular book, the popular guy then was Dr. Benjamin Spock. Any other Spock babies in the room? Yeah, we had a copy of Dr. Benjamin Spock's parenting book. I think it was about that thick. I'm sure the cover was pink, but maybe I'm making that part up because years have passed. But it was that big and it was pink. And it was in the dry sink in our living room with with other books in there. And I remember even looking at it sometimes. What are they trying to teach me? What are they, what, you know, like, can I figure them out here? And what's going on? And I don't know why the book had like 350 pages. All it needed was one page because here was the message. Let them do whatever they want. And so in my family, that's what happened. That's how we were raised, pretty much. My mom and dad probably listen to this. Dad's going to feel all embarrassed. But you did that, Dad. Tell the truth. It'd be different now. He's a brother in Christ. He's a follower of the Lamb. But we need to take our parenting cues from the Word of God. And, man, we've seen some pretty big cues today in Deuteronomy 6. Secondly, Christians need to be the most the most intentional, serious, focused, purposeful, driven child raisers on the planet. Like if anybody is seriously into parenting and doing it well, it should be us. We have the book, we know the cause, we know the results, we are motivated. Like that is, What else is more important than that? And number three, Christian fathers need to get in the game too. I've already hinted at that, but you know, know, the, the mother, the wife and mother is made by God, by wiring, by fuel, the chemicals, to deeply, deeply care for those children. And even when they're big and even later, she has a level of care then in most cases, the man can't match. He doesn't match. In families where there are two full-time incomes, and I'm not complaining about that, just so the kids, the family comes first. But in families where that happens, you know, you know what ends up happening to the mother is, right? She now has two full-time jobs, right? The career and the children. Psychologists tell us that Men don't like doing what psychologists have identified as women's work. And for a lot of men, that's a lot of things related to the children. And the mothers wind up doing a lot of those things. You're going to be real busy, mom. But Christian fathers need to get in the game too. Teaching your children God's words is not woman's work. It's Christian's work. Fathers get in the game. Number four, and all for the eternal good of our children and all to the glory of God. So Cornerstone people, let's seek to raise up a godly seed for the glory of God in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, thank you for this time in your word. We pray that it would go in and find its mark. Would you shape us by it? Would you form us? Would you mold us by it? We present all the sons and daughters of the church to you and pray, oh Father, would you have their hearts to be your own dwelling place? Would you captivate their souls and reign them in to the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.